Welcome to the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Vest, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Today, I am over the moon to sit down with Melanie Conover, who is a mindful consumer coach, a Remake Our World ambassador, and a clinical social worker. She is a total badass who is working to empower people to make more mindful consumption choices and working on tons of different fronts to address trafficking and human rights violations. Uh, So excited for you to hear my conversation with Melanie as we go deep on global supply chains and what you as an individual person in the world can do to address forced labor and human trafficking. Perfect. Okay. Well, I am so excited to have you here, Melanie. Um, This is the total dream to get to sit down with you um, and talk to you about all sorts of things from your story and how you got to where you are today to what mindful consumerism is to what the average person can do to address human trafficking and exploitation in their daily lives. Um, So I have so many questions, Um, but maybe before I get into all the questions, I would love it if you'd be willing to maybe just briefly introduce yourself to anyone who's listening. So I am Melanie. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I am a social worker and a mindful consumer coach. Um, I work as a social worker with women in human trafficking and exploitation um, and prostitution and addiction. Um, And then being a mindful consumer coach, I get to coach people on not only how to be a mindful and conscious consumer, but um, also on how to be a consumer activist through advocacy for worker rights, um, particularly in the fashion industry. Um, Yeah, so I do a lot of different things, but those are the main two. (laughs) Awesome. I know. I think it's so interesting, the combination of your social work um, you know, work and background, as well as this work on the more mindful consumer coaching side of things. I'm curious if you would be willing to share your story and how you got to be where you are today. And I would really encourage you, um, you know, often I think, especially in situations like these, it can be tempting to tell, tell us the short version, but to actually tell us like the long version, how did you come to be involved in working on these issues? Yes, I would love to tell you the story. So um, I first learned about human trafficking in high school. Um, I think it was my senior year. I had done a little research paper on it, um, but then I didn't really think much about it. After that, I think I was like super sick while I was writing it and I didn't really absorb all the information. I remember thinking like, this is really awful, Um, but then kind of just didn't think much about it for a few months. And then my um, boyfriend at the time had brought over a documentary about trafficking um, to watch. And 
it was just really heartbreaking. Um, and it was specifically about sex trafficking globally. Um, and then I just, or, I mean, I already didn't really know what I wanted to do in college, but um, this kind of just gave me a mission, I guess. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I just wanted to figure out how could I help um, end trafficking. So I went to school and I decided, um, I went to a small Christian school and decided like, well, maybe if I'm a missionary. So I, I started in their program that was technically an intercultural program and decided I hated it and I did not want to be a missionary. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so interesting. I had no idea that you initially went to school thinking you were going to become a missionary. Yes, it, I, yes. <laughs> an interesting story but yeah I ultimately just you know was like nope this isn't for me so I stumbled around a lot uh went into sociology um my sister suggested um social work and I I actually had um I had taken a test in high school uh, my senior year uh, like a career test from like this psychologist who was apparently amazing. And um, I went and met with that person. And they told me like, I scored on the test, like the highest in social work. But I, I was like, I don't know what that means. And my parents were like, you're not going to make money um, doing that. And I was like, cool, I'll be a missionary, which will make even more money than a social worker. So, <laughs> um, so then, uh, anyway, Fast forward to me choosing social work, started in sociology and realized there's no social work degree at that school. So um, I was from Ohio, that school is in Tennessee, and I decided to transfer to Ohio State um, my third year to study social work. So I um, started to just search out any anti-trafficking organization any anti-trafficking work going on in Columbus um, when I transferred to Ohio State. Um, and I just met with random people. Um, I, I just was like, who can I meet here? How can I be involved? I was very intent on figuring out, um, you know, how can I be helpful within this community and just learn as much as I possibly can. Um, and then I just kept volunteering. I kept finding my way to people, kept <laughs> kind of interviewing people, um, getting involved. And then uh, I don't I don't know, I just found myself within the anti-trafficking community in Columbus. Um, and so then I graduated with my undergrad degree, uh, got married, and then did a few internships um, with anti-trafficking organizations. Um, one was in Washington, D.C. Um, yeah. Awesome. So you were interning in D.C. after college um, and working on anti-trafficking. And then um, where did you go from there? Yeah. So I actually think maybe I should back up because I completely skipped over New York, um, which was where I learned about, you know, conscious consumerism. Um, so can I back up from there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll say you, you graduated, you got married, and then you took a couple internships, including in New York. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the internships that I did was actually um, between my junior and senior year in college, so um, an undergrad. So that was in New York City, and that is where I learned about 
um, conscious consumerism. And that was just a life changer for me. (laughs) From there, I just haven't been able to um, not think about, you know, where my things are coming from. And that is really when I started to shift my lifestyle. Um, I learned about how human trafficking and exploitation um, has to do with being a conscious consumer um, with my food and my clothing and pretty much anything around me. So I haven't looked at buying things, you know, the same um, than before that internship. Um, And do you mind telling us for anyone listening who um, either is not as familiar with conscious consumerism or um, who may not be like fully aware of like what all human trafficking entails? Well, I guess one, how, like what, what gave you that light bulb moment in New York? Like how, like what was the moment? And then two, um, you know, what is human trafficking for anyone who's maybe not familiar? Yeah. So in New York, um, I lived with, gosh, I think it was 10 other um, interns uh, from, you know, all around the country. And we were there because of our, you know, um, collective interest in anti-trafficking work. Um, There I interned with an organization called Novi Network. Um, and they work directly um, and indirectly in Cambodia and India with women at risk of sex trafficking. Um, and that's where I guess like the I put the two together um, because they they were working with women who it wasn't just sex tra- trafficking, which is a form of labor trafficking, um, but um, they were also helping them to um, earn a living uh, making things um, that we would sell here in the States. And so then that was kind of connected um, for me to um, my own lifestyle. I started thinking more about it. Um, One big reason is because the person who was leading my internship um, taught us about what it means to be a conscious consumer, which um, at that time he kind of he introduced this concept of like log off which means you know buying local buying green organic buying fair meaning that the the people who we buy from are being paid a fair wage um and free that the people that we um are buying from or the brands or whoever we're buying from whoever made our things um are also free Um, And that really was kind of that light bulb moment of like, I've never, I've never thought uh, past, you know, buying something. Um, So learning that, you know, acronym log off was a a mind changer. I would, he would teach us to go through the grocery store and think log off, as he would say, to think log off. Um, And that really affected, you know, how I looked at stores. Totally, totally. I can imagine. So just to recap um, for anyone who's like trying to write this down, log off is local organic. Um, oh my goodness. I'm forgetting local, the G. green, oh, organic. Local, or, okay. Local, green, organic, fair and fair. free. Yeah. I think it's confusing because the L-O is local. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> Yeah, I went through that program, got got that, you know, light bulb moment, and then, you know, left um, that internship at the end of the year and just really couldn't think of 
anything else, you know, when I went to the store, my mom and I had a hobby of just going to the mall and buying things. And I just couldn't anymore because all I would see, you know, was faces and stories. Um, and it was a tough transition uh, because, you know, that meant, you know, not being able to do the things that you used to do, not being able to bond with people like you used to. Um, but I really had this drive to live um, as, you know, the person who led my internship to live slave free. Oh, that's so powerful. And so then from from finishing up that internship in New York and having this kind of awakening to what goes into, you know, all the stuff in our worlds, um, where did you go from there? From there, I, um, I finished out my senior year. I actually internshiped with a local organization called She Has a Name that I still volunteer with <laughs> um, in Columbus. Uh, and I learned a lot there too. I worked with some survivors um, directly and helped to develop um, a Human Trafficking 101 training um, for the community that they still do in the community. It's, it's awesome to see how many hundreds of people have gone through that. Um, and I graduated. And um, like I said, I, I then that the next summer um, interned with the International Justice Mission in Washington, D.C., I got married, and then the next year I went to grad school for social work and got my master's, um, and that year um, I had another internship with women um, within the uh, court system who had been convicted of solicitation or prostitution, who um, also 100% of them um, had substance use um, disorders. So... I worked in the courts with them um, through a specialized docket called Catch Court. Um, and that was also a really life-changing moment for me because up until then, I hadn't worked with that uh, population directly. Um, and it really kind of shifted my view. I had no idea that there were so many women in Columbus who um, were not just in sex trafficking, um, but were also addicted to drugs. That didn't really dawn on me that that would be, the majority of that population would also have addictions. And so that was a, a really big life changer for me as well. Totally, I can imagine. And I think so often when we hear the like phrase trafficking, we think that it happens somewhere else, but it's very much something that is real and that is happening in you know many communities around the world and in this country. Yeah. And I think I forgot to tell you, you know, what human trafficking is and give a definition for that. Um, so a lot of people call trafficking modern day slavery, um, which is kind of a dated phrase. Um, but essentially, human trafficking um, involves force, fraud or coercion. That is the legal um, definition. Um, and so, yeah, it's anything, it, it doesn't matter if somebody is being, you know, moved from place to place, somebody can, can be within the, the same city being trafficked. It's more about the force fraud or coercion, um, rather than, you know, if they're being moved from state to state. Um, and, you know, victims of human trafficking can, can look like anyone, um, but, you know, they're, the, the population in Columbus um, that are sex trafficked are often, like I said, women who have addictions, who have been coerced by um, a male, you know, typically a male 
uh, like drug dealer or um, sometimes we call them pimps, but they're traffickers who make them feel like they're loved um, and then just exploit them in their relationship, you know, telling them, if you loved me, you would do this for me. Um, And then also uh, often with drug dealers, it's like, you know, if you, I'll set up a date for you. And if you do this date, then I will give you, you know, this much drugs or whatever. Um, and so that's kind of what it looks like here, but it, there's, it really varies throughout the country and throughout the world, what human trafficking looks like. Um, and human trafficking is not the same as exploitation. Um, exploitation can, um, happen without it being trafficking, which can be kind of confusing. Um, but is, if it, if it involves force fraud or coercion, then it's human trafficking. Oh, so awful. Um, but thank you so much for providing the definition and for explaining what it can look like. I mean, I know that one of the issues that you're really passionate about is trafficking and exploitation, both of them in the, in the garment supply chain. So I'm not sure if now's a good time for you to tell us a little bit more about what that can look like in the garment supply chain. And then we'll come back to how you got to where you are today from catch court. Yeah, that's such a big question. So it looks a number of ways um, within the garment and textile industry. Um, But yeah, I'm trying to think of of even where to begin on that. Um, I guess what I ask people to think about first when I talk about this is to just wonder for a second about who made the shirt that they're wearing um, and if they've ever thought about um, who who picked the, let's say it's a cotton t-shirt, who picked the cotton fibers, um, who weaved them into the material, who cut and dyed the shirt, um, who sewed it, uh, or also, you know, how did this tomato or whatever um, land on my plate? What was the process for it to get here? Who picked it? Um, who planted it? Um, and so I think, you know, not a lot of people ask those questions, um, but a lot of those people we found, especially this year, are not paid um, a living wage, uh, also in the States, not just, you know, globally, we have to think locally as well. Um, so I guess a big thing kind of to talk about is what a living wage is. Um, and it's something that in, it's a wage that includes enough to pay for you know, basic things like food, water, housing, health care, transportation, um, and also like discretionary earnings like like savings. Um, is it enough for savings, for clothing, um, for education? And um, so when somebody is not paid a living wage or even a minimum wage within their own country or state, um, they are exploited. Um, and one big example of you know, not having a safe working condition was the collapse of Rana Plaza, which was a factory in Dhaka, Bangladesh in 2013, where over 1,100 people died. Um, There were clear signs of like cracks in the foundation, but the um, factory managers forced their um, workers to go, you know, to go into work that day. And that's when the collapse happened. Um, and so people are exploited um, for 
a number of reasons. There's some sexual harassment and sexual assault um, that leave people kind of stuck in their jobs because they're then kind of blackmailed. It looks, you know, so many different ways. Um, but we just don't tend to look at, you know, exploitation that can happen uh, happen in other industries, um, and especially within the garment industry. Um, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for giving, um, you know, such a powerful explanation and some specific examples. One thing I'll just asterisk here too, um, for anyone listening who's familiar with the living wage conversation, is that the minimum wage does not equal a living wage necessarily. And so uh, just because someone is being paid the minimum wage does not actually mean that they are being paid a living wage, that those are two different concepts. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the work, not only that I know that that you do, um, both like just as a consumer, as an activist, as a coach, is, is advocating for a living wage, um, not only for that bare minimum legal minimum wage, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think we see that argument within the U.S. as well, um, you know, in different areas is that is the minimum wage even allowing people who are um, low income um, receiving that minimum wage? Is it is that even allowing them to, you know, do normal um, activities for themselves and their kids? Are they even able to go to school do they have enough money for transportation? You know, do they have any money for savings? I think we're having that conversation here in the States um, more than we realize. Definitely, definitely. I think it's it's about time uh, for sure. I think it's definitely been part of part of the narrative. Um, well, so I know in, in terms of your story, I think where we last left young Melanie was at Catch Court. Um, and I know that you've done some very cool things since then. So um, do you mind kind of filling us in on the, on the rest of your journey up to today? So after I graduated with my master's degree, I started working at a treatment facility for women um, in Columbus, Ohio. So uh, that was called Amethyst, um, and I did, you know, therapy groups with them um, and just learned a, a lot about what addiction um, and exploitation uh, and um, trafficking looks like. Not all of them had been trafficked, but a good amount of them um, had been, even if, you know, they hadn't really realized it in their story. Um, because at the time you're not really concerned about, you know, lab labeling yourself as a survivor of human trafficking. You're just kind of trying to find your way through addiction, um, and recovery. Um, and then from there, um, I left Amethyst to work at, um, a, a local hospital called Mount Carmel. Um, they had a, they have a program called, uh, Mount Carmel Crime and Trauma Assistance Program. Um, which is a really awesome program um, that I love so much. They provide free trauma counseling to the Columbus community, um, and not just Columbus, but, you know, throughout the state. Um, and they have amazing clinicians who are getting ongoing training um, in trauma. Um, and they also um, serve a large, uh, a large part of the population that they serve. Um, are survivors of human trafficking, um, or sorry, I'm going to go back and say um, part of the population that they serve um, is human trafficking survivors. Um, and so I had learned just a whole lot more there about trauma um, 
gosh, yeah, just learned so much more. I thought I was, you know, educated in trauma as a baby social worker, but learned even more from the clinicians there and all of the education that I was able to get from Mount Carmel. Um, and then I recently left there and now have um, a job that I begin next <laughs> next week um, with Sanctuary Night, which is um, an organization that now provides uh, a drop-in space uh, called Sanctuary Night on Monday nights um, and has for about two and a half years. Uh, I've volunteered with them for a while and now I work for them. So it's kind of where I am right now. So exciting. That is so great. And um, and what specifically um, are you doing with Sanctuary Night? So my title that um, we decided upon last week um, is the Director of People and Culture. So it's kind of what it sounds like. I will be working um, with people. (laughs) Um, And that means that I get to work uh, with the survivors who might come to our drop-in um, night and soon to be in construction um, drop-in center, as well as working with community partners. Wow, that is so that's so exciting um, and such important work. Uh, and also, I I have I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't call out the fact that it's also like very heavy work. A lot of the work that you're doing um, is hard, and it sounds like you know very emotionally like you are in it. How do you um, take care of yourself while you're doing such intense work? Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) I have a lot of support um, from my friends who um, are also, a lot of them are social workers as well. So they kind of get it. Um, I have a lot of family support and then I also have a really great therapist um, who is just, uh, yeah, she gets it as well. so I try to surround myself with people who, who are really supportive, who will listen to me. And I also try so hard to take care of myself, to learn what rest looks like. Um, and yeah, to figure out how, how do I fill myself up and that changes and has changed throughout my life. So I really just try um, to listen to my body and listen to, yeah, my body, mind, spirit to figure out, you know, what do I need in this moment? How am I feeling? Um, and how can I prepare for the future where I know, especially in this job, I will encounter a lot of tragedy, um, because not everybody makes it, um, on the street. So yeah, I'm, I'm still constantly figuring that out. But um, I think I've come a long way since I first started. Totally, totally. Well, it sounds like you do have such a beautiful support system. I feel like behind like every successful woman changing the world, there's often a team of other amazing women supporting her and some really good men too. Yes. That's that's fantastic. I'm I'm grateful to you for sharing that um, because again, I know a lot of people who do work that's really important to them emotionally, like the work that you're doing, um, it, it just, it can be hard to, to make sure that you also keep the time and space to take care of yourself. Um, you know, when you are trying to make the world a better place for lack of a better term. Um, and I know that in addition to the incredible social work career that you've had, you also 
have a side hustle, which is coaching people on how to be more mindful consumers. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about what it means to be a mindful and conscious consumerism coach? Yes, of course I can. Um, So I I do want to circle back and just say, too, that being... um, Doing what I do is really filling, even though it is draining. And so I think even though what I what I get to do in working with survivors, um, I am also filled by them. And so I just want to mention that, you know, I'm, I'm really, I, I get drained from it just because it's emotionally draining, but not because I don't love working with that population. They're so filling. Um, And it's just such a fulfilling thing to do. So just want to mention that as well. Um, But being a conscious um, or mindful consumer coach, I just recently started that um, November of 2020. I I started um, kind of digging more into exploitation within the fashion industry. Like I knew about it, obviously I had been, for you know, several years, been um, a conscious consumer, but I I started learning about um, last year during the pandemic how brands started canceling their orders um, from factory workers, um, which means that you know orders that had already been um, completed, um, orders that brands had placed with factories. Um, they had canceled them and they were already either in production or already produced. Um, And that meant that because brands were canceling them, they weren't getting paid. Um, And so then factory workers weren't getting paid and they were getting laid off um, and for work that they had already done. And so that was like, what? What's going on? (laughs) That's not right. Well, and just to jump in quickly for anyone who's not familiar with the garment um, supply chain, and please correct me if Mm -hmm. uh, I misstate any of this, but so for a lot of different brands, um, so some brands own their factories. And so like the factories that are producing their clothes are like their own factories and those employees are their own employees. But for a lot of brands, they outsource the production of their clothes and other goods to factories that are that they do not own so factories that then produce clothing for example for a number of different brands at the same time and the the situation that you're describing sounds to me like it was it, it was primarily the brands that outsourced the production of their clothes that were then canceling those orders and people were being laid off yes thank you so much for clarifying that yes so big brands that you can think of that are like you know boohoo h&m zara um, other big, you know, fast fashion brands. Um, those are you know, Nike, you know, those are our brands that unfortunately had cancer, their, canceled their orders um, from factories that they outsourced to. And so then what happens is the factory, um, they upfront the cost of all of the orders, and then they don't get paid until the orders like reach the brand. And so they um, upfront the cost of what they had already made and what was already in production. And so that meant they didn't get paid. Um, when the brands canceled the orders, they did not get paid to then pay their workers. So I started just, you know, learning more and more about that, um, particularly through Remake. Um, and I started learning more about Remake 
which is um, just an awesome organization that is um, advocating for the rights of garment workers and just started following them more and decided like, I just really want to do more, um, you know, to teach people how to live more consciously and also teach them how to be advocates because that is exactly what I'm trying to figure out right now. And I have worked on this for years and years, and I feel like people are just so paralyzed um, by the daunting thought of changing their lifestyle. Totally. I mean, I think it can be so hard to know where to start, right? Because it feels like such a massive challenge. Um, So what are some of the different ways that you encourage people, like whether like your coaching clients or, you know, people at workshops or even just your friends? What are some of the action steps that people can take to, you know, be part of the change that we would like to see in the global fashion supply chain? This is a great question because everybody asks it. And this is what I try to go over with my coaching clients. Um, So there are four main things that I like to talk about. Um, The first thing that I just encourage people to do is, like I said earlier, to ask questions, um, to wonder about where their things were made, um, to kind of, when they're going through the store, think about like, hmm, I wonder who produced, I wonder who picked the cocoa beans and and who then made this into chocolate or whatever. Um, I wonder who picked this thing. I wonder who made this shirt, like to ask those questions. Um to in asking questions ask about you know was this person how much was this person paid was it a living wage um I wonder how the brand treats you know the factory I wonder how the factory treats their workers um I wonder if workers have you know a say um I I wonder if they're like at the at the decision making table um and because asking questions can just be really powerful and then mobilize us to then advocate, which is something that I, you know, I, I tell people, um, you know, different ways that you can advocate is to support legislation for worker protections, um, to sign petitions, to use social media, to educate their community. And all of these things can feel really daunting. Uh, But once you learn to follow the right organizations and people, it starts to become more natural because you, you see their, if you're active on social media, you start seeing their posts and you start reading more about ways to advocate because they can make it really easy. Um, And then another big thing that I talk about is supporting organizations doing the work. So if you don't have time to do like the actual advocacy work, then a really great place to start is but is through your money if you have the money to um to you know give even if it's you know maybe five dollars a month whatever you you can budget i always just say support organizations um and not just with money but again with those petitions or those emails that you can send off that take you know two minutes to do um, and also just sharing about that um, with your community, sharing about the organization and the work that they're doing. Um, and then, like I was talking about, like we have been talking about to make conscious purchases, um, because that really, even though that is not, you know, 
the thing that's going to change the entire system. It's really important because as consumers, we do have leverage um, and we do have voices. And so when we have a collective voice as consumers, we can influence brands, um, but not if we don't do the other three steps. Um, So shopping consciously is really important. And that is another motivator for us to continue to um, change change our lifestyle and change, you know, the system. Um, but again, we have to continue to do those. Do we, we have to continue to be conscious consumers while doing the other three steps. Totally, totally. I mean, I think so often people do think that it's like really just about what they buy and like, you know, and I know that you're someone who's very like vocal about the fact that like it's often more expensive to be a conscious consumer and there are many other steps that you can take that are not necessarily like quote unquote expensive steps. So like asking these questions, you know, being an advocate, like taking the time to send an email or to sign a petition um, and then potentially donating time or money to some of the organizations that are really advancing the cause. You mentioned too that there are like a lot of people to follow. Um, and so I would love anyone off the top of your head. I know you're like such a wealth of resources and I will, and definitely at the end of our conversation, we'll make sure that people have the info to follow you, but who comes to mind as some of the key kind of like accounts um, or places to get information if, for anyone who's interested in, in being more of an advocate? I would love to share this information. <laughs> Um, remake, I, I just, uh, mentioned a few minutes ago, I'm a remake ambassador. Um, and it's so fulfilling. Um, but they're a great account to follow, especially on Instagram. Um, they have great articles on their website as well. So, um, remake is a big one. Labor behind the label, um, is another organization that I follow. Clean clothes campaign, um, fashion revolution, Eco cult. Um, there is somebody called I think it's sustainably um, with two S's. We, you can add that to whatever you want, Liz. Um, but she's on Instagram and has really great um, simple slides to follow. Elizabeth Klein, Aja Barber, um, the Awaj Foundation. There's so many others I could list, but um, all of those are really, really great places to start. Amazing. Thank you so much. We'll make sure to include um, links to these in the show notes too. Cause again, I know you're a wealth of knowledge on this. Um, and I feel like I could keep asking you questions basically forever, um, <laughs> but in the interest of time, I'd love to ask you just a few kind of like more quick hits type questions um, for a little bit more of like you as a person and some inspo. Um, so I would love to hear if you had like one piece of advice that you would give your younger self and you can like pick an age or it could be like age agnostic. Um, but what would be the advice that you would want to give your younger self? Oh yeah. Um, I was actually recently looking at a picture of me when I was, I think 15 or 16 and it was a tragic picture of my awkward stage. <laughs> it's just a, a reminder of like, oh man, I <laughs> I was uh, struggling at that point. Um, I think as any you know teenager at fifteen or sixteen, I think most people, most of uh, teenagers feel like, what am I doing? What's going on with my body? What's going on with my life? And so I think I look, I looked at that picture. Um, and think about this question. And I, I think to my, my 15 or 16 year old self, I would say that 
um, your love for people is powerful um, and it it will be the driving force of your life and your career. Um, but also that nothing is worth, worth sacrificing your, your physical health, your spiritual health, your mental health. Um, and that the most important thing is to invest in these to keep you from burning out um, and to invest in yourself and in your relationships. Um, because that will, that will, that's what will keep you going and keep you healthy. Um, your career can be important to you, but it can't be over all of those other things or else you're, you're really going to burn out. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is such wise advice. Although I'm, I can say at least for me, my 16 year old self would have been like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> Um, and then what is your favorite inspirational quote right now? Oh, this one has been my, my favorite for maybe two years now, but peace in me, peace in the world. Oh, that's such a, that's such a beautiful one. I think it's, I think for both of these, it's just like, it's so, it's so easy to forget that like we have to fill up our own cups in order to be able to create the change that we want to see. And that if we're burnt out and depleted, um, or not peaceful that like we're really not doing anyone a service right yeah and I think I would add for my you know telling my 16 year old self I think I would add like you deserve to take up space in this world your voice and you know physically you know you deserve to take up space and your voice matters um, and you can you can ask for help and you can accept that help um, yeah I just I just think that's that's hard for me even now. So just starting young at 16 to tell, you know, me that you deserve to take up space in this world. Yes, absolutely. I love that so much. All right, three more questions. What is your what are your favorite things to like do for fun and to and for self-care? I know you mentioned kind of like your team and the people supporting you and keeping your cup full, but like, if you were going to have like a fun random Saturday, what would be on your agenda? Oh, I have a long list of these, but I love to read. I love nonfiction and fiction, but I really love to escape through fiction. So I read a lot of books. Um, I love to ride my bike. I really love riding my bike. Um, yoga, running. I love camping go on a lot of camp trips um face masks I love face masks <laughs> not the ones that we have to wear for COVID but <laughs> the ones where you get to pamper yourself um, <laughs> important distinction right friends uh and good wine and good whiskey ah uh, love it it's uh we're talking in the afternoon for me so it's a little early for wine or whiskey but <laughs> it's 5 p.m here <laughs> Love it. Um, okay. Well, so my, my, one of my favorite questions, um, on like any podcast is I used to listen to the Tim Ferriss show. Um, I don't listen as much now, but he asks everyone on his podcast, like if you, uh, had a billboard, what would you put on the billboard? And for me, I feel like so many of 
the women in my world, we, we are like our crazy, I, I mean, I am a crazy person and I write post-it notes to myself. I'm currently sitting like surrounded <laughs> by inspirational messages on post-it notes. Um, and so you can totally bring back anything that you've already shared in our conversation. But I also am curious, like if you were going to like have a post-it in a stack of inspirational post-its, you got to have like one message, what would be your inspirational post-it note message? Yeah, I think without a doubt, it would, it would be you deserve to take up space. I love it. As you said that, I was like, that's going on the post-it note. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've written it on many post-it notes. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, well, then I guess the last thing um, before you share how people can get in touch with you is what are you looking forward to the most right now? What are you excited about? Oh, the start of a new season of my life. Um, I am so excited to meet new people, um, to learn from and grow with, and also just, you know, deepen my relationships with my um, friends and, uh, and new coworkers. Um, I, I just am really excited to, yeah, to just engage with more people. Um, you know, I think for everyone, COVID has been really difficult because of our lack of ability to be with people in person. Um, so I think just starting this new season um, is just going to be really helpful to be with people physically and meet new people because it's one of my favorite things to do. So I'm, that's what I'm looking forward to right now. So fun. Um, I'm so excited for you. And um, I'm sure people listening right now are excited for you as well. I'm curious if people wanted to kind of like follow along with the mindful consumer coaching tips um, in your journey, where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah, the best place for people to find me is Instagram. Um, social media is not my my strong point. So I only have one and that is Instagram. Um, and so I share on there, on their ways to advocate, um, different sustainability tips. I, I really try and show people where they can look um, like posting, you know, about those organizations that I shared about earlier. Um, and yeah, I just really try to give people, um, a way to safely learn. Cause I know sometimes, you know, shame can be thrown upon us for not knowing what we, um, well, we don't know that we don't know. Um, so I just try to create a safe space for, for people there. And is the, is the best place for people to find you on Instagram? Um, is it the mindful consumer coaches, your handle? Uh, that one, yep. And um, my personal one, which is uh, Melanie Lilick Conover. Awesome. Um, and we'll link those too. Uh, oh, well, I'm sure this is the first of many of these conversations um, that I would love to have with you as things continue to unfold. Um, but thank you so much for making time to share the work that you do, to share your story, to educate people about human trafficking and what we can do to address human trafficking and exploitation um, and to be more mindful consumers. I know I have learned a lot and I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for making time. Yes. Thank you, Liz. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram at Liz, L-A-S dot best, B-E-S-T, or by searching my name on LinkedIn. 
You can also sign up for my three-day personal branding challenge, which is totally free, by visiting my website, which is Elizabeth with an S, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H, best, B-E-S-T, dot com slash personal branding challenge. See you in the next episode.